0: Welcome to Political Theater. My name is Jason Dick, and I am the host of this podcast. Uh, Joining me is Nathan Gonzalez, CQ Roll Calls Elections Analyst. Uh, He is going to take us through uh, what he's seeing one year out from the 2020 election. Nathan, welcome. Thank you for having me once again. So, one year out from the 2020 election, it feels like we have been um, sort of just... The, the country, it's not just us, but the country has been talking about the 2020 election since, say, the 2016 election. Uh, but we are uh, approximately one year out now, and you have written uh, for CQ magazine and for Roll Call, a uh, newspaper, and for our various websites, what you think are the probably the most likely uh, scenarios that we're going to see on, on election day or the day after election day, 2020, uh, from who wins the white house and who, uh, uh, is in the majority in the house and Senate. So, uh, we're going to do anti web jam. We're not going to be going from, you know, least likely to most likely. We're going to start off right away with what you think at least one year out is the most likely scenario. And then head into, uh, uh, the territory that might, that could still happen, but might just, it just seems like a little less likely at this right. point. And, and I think
1: that, that's one of the byproducts or consequences of 2016, that after Trump won, there's this reluctance to... Uh, make any sort of projection, or or to say that everything has an equal chance, so just throw our hands up in the air and say, "Well, who knows?" And I think this exercise, part of what I was trying to do with this exercise, is let's look at the different scenarios of control and and who could win the White House and Congress, but also what would maybe need to happen uh, below the surface for these for these things to to take place. So right now, sitting a year out from the election, I think the most likely outcome is that Democrats take the White House and that President Trump is defeated. Republicans maintain narrow control of the Senate, and Democrats maintain control of the House. And I don't know that a lot ha- would have to change, But uh, from 2016. Uh, essentially, it would be acknowledging that President Trump... Uh, did what was minimally necessary in 2016 to get elected. He won a number of states, particularly in the upper Midwest, by uh, less than 1%, and that he just wasn't able to recreate the electoral college victory. That uh, you know, one of the challenges with using 2016 as a baseline is that Democrats were not as enthusiastic then as they are now. Uh, some Democrats didn't think President Trump was going to win. And now that after he did win, Democrats are saying have been energized and motivated in a way that they weren't in 2016. They were in 2018. I think they're going to continue to be motivated in 2020. And right now, I think uh, President Trump probably wouldn't get enough independence in order to uh, make up for the make up for that gap. And so that's where
0: I think that scenario sits. Well, and and what makes this, you know, such an interesting election is that what is, is somewhat typical is a president, you know, however he or she gets into office, uh, they seek to expand a bit of their coalition, knowing that you know, things change. And we have not seen that with the president. We have not seen uh, an attempt to reach out necessarily, uh, except with some very isolated incidents, to anyone beyond what he considers his base what I think the one of the wild cards uh, about this election that I, I just find sort of fascinating is though that even though that coalition isn't changing demographics are changing and so you know he lost Minnesota narrowly um, won Michigan narrowly I mean we could see a flip in those two uh, and and it you know it it, it almost becomes a wash from an electoral college perspective and then you've got all these other states like Arizona and Georgia and Florida I mean like the you know he could he could pick up states that he lost before, but then lose states that he won, and that must be from a, a from a handicapper's perspective. That must be sort of uh, difficult to wade through, right? Right,
1: and that and some of it we're just going to have to wait until we get until we get to next year, end of next summer, and and there's a, see what the conditions are. But the president's standing also impacts the Senate, and I think if the president loses Michigan in 2020, I think it will be difficult for John James, the likely Republican nominee, to defeat Democrat. Senator Gary Peters, Uh, and I think it will be if the president loses re-election, it will be tough for Senators Cory Gardner in Colorado to win, tough for Martha McSally in Arizona to win, might be tough for Tom Tillis in North Carolina to win. But under this first scenario, maybe Republicans lose Gardner and McSally, but defeat Doug Jones, so they're down one. Doug Jones, the Democratic senator in Alabama. But then they're down one, and they still have a fifty-one forty-nine majority.
0: And in the House, you see, you see, this is probably the the area where the Democrats have the most sort of uh, give. You know, they they can probably lose a couple of seats that they picked up in twenty eighteen that were you know Democrats who won in Trump districts, they defeated Republicans in Trump districts, that they could even lose some of those, but they could still retain control.
1: Right, right, Republicans need a net gain of 19 seats. Maybe they get back, maybe they defeat Joe Cunningham in South Carolina, Kendra Horn in Oklahoma, get a few of those surprises from 2018, but they could also lose some uh, narrow, some races that they won narrowly in 2018. Uh, also, we might have a new map in North Carolina that could give Democrats uh, more opportunities. I'll believe it when I see it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> We've been saying that for <laughs> 10 years, folks. Uh, so I, I think you could see h- seats switching hands, but not a lot on the net in the House.
0: Okay, so let's go to the second most likely scenario.
1: Second scenario, I think, is Blue Washington, which is Democratic control of the White House, Democrats gain the Senate and hold the House. And comparing that with scenario one, I think a big difference would be independent voters, that right now what's holding, what's keeping the president afloat with independent voters is the economy, that they don't like the tweets and they don't like the circus that maybe goes on at the White House, but they believe the economy is heading the right direction. But if we see that take a dip over the next year, maybe it's not a full recession, it's just a slowing or backlash on his trade policies. And independents lose confidence in um, in the president, then I think that would have a that would hurt the president's chances and hurt in the Senate, because then I think it's not just Cory Gardner and Martha McSally. You could see uh, Tom Tillis, maybe Joni Ernst in Iowa, maybe one of the two Georgia seats uh, become difficult as well. And so seeing the Senate flip and if Democrats win the White House, then that's one less seat than they, that they need to get for control anyway
0: going down the line we get we get a little uh, trickier in the third most likely third of four uh, scenarios that you explore the
1: third scenario is that after six billion dollars in campaign ads and, and countless hours of media coverage we have the same government <laughs> the status quo <laughs> uh, which would be stunning it actually um, Randy Leonard here on the data team at, at CQ roll call uh, did some number crunching i thought it was this would be rare this a status quo election but actually more than half of the presidential cycles going back to 1900 we we had the we had a status quo election and and this would be you know the president obviously holding the white house and that would mean that he would recreate that electoral college Um, That electoral college map, maybe he loses Pennsylvania, he could afford to lose Pennsylvania, he can't afford to lose much more. And I think the economy would have to stay where it is or in better shape. And uh, the president can't can't afford. There's just not a lot of margin for error, but he manages to pull it off once again. Probably because there's a polarizing Democratic nominee who becomes the focus. Socialism becomes the focus of the election. Uh, That would help the president.
0: And it would also, and it would likely entail a little tightening in the majorities in the House and Senate. So it'd be even it would be even more difficult to pass any kind of legislation right. than, than previously. Yeah. Or, who knows, maybe this would uh, yield a little bit more of an era of compromise. Um, I mean, it's hard to imagine um, things getting worse, but I guess they can always get worse. <laughs> there's always. There's... <laughs> <laughs> we have
1: to be open-minded, even when it goes down rabbit holes like that. Uh, and we haven't really talked about impeachment. I think that in in this scenario, uh, with the president wins re-election, that there might be some backlash or fatigue against impeachment uh you know house impeachment but not removal from office on the senate side in the other two uh, i think the the most likely is that impeachment really has no specific electoral consequence for democrats i don't think that's playing out in the polls right now that there's a a looming backlash but that they navigated that successfully in order to not be a distraction and and not prevent them from prevent them from winning
0: All right. And then the what what you um, wrote about in the which would be the the least likely scenario that we can imagine. But it's still it's still a possibility. Uh, Let's let's talk about that. Talk about the red revival uh, scenario for
1: uh, this is where Republicans, President Trump is reelected. Republicans control the House and they take back uh, control the Senate and they take back the House. Uh, I think it's very unlikely at this point. Uh, I talked to a number of pollsters for the story. Um, some of them uh, went on the record. Some stayed off the record in order to speak candidly. But uh, Molly Murphy, Democratic pollster at ALG Research uh, she was saying that Democrats would have to t- lose total control of the narrative. I right. mean, it would it wouldn't just be losing independence or firing a Republican. Something would have to happen, even for Democrats to be depressed. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's the impeachment process that it just ends up being a disaster or or looming. Uh, seeing the president's reelection prospects slowly tick up over the over this next summer that Democrats become depressed. I think that would have to happen. As long as Democrats stay energized, their prospects are going to be decent. But uh, a red revival would require the
0: Democrats to completely uh, implode uh, and, and- for that to happen. And and this is where the you know that impeachment inquiry like where the where impeachment politics does become like more of a I mean in this scenario this would be an example of them suffering a backlash
1: yeah and maybe know? it drags out too <laughs> long you know they they show an inability to focus on simultaneously focus on other issues uh, it would be uh, <laughs> it would just have to be a total a, a total disaster which could happen uh, but I think it's least and if that happens. The Democratic Party will go not just into the wilderness, but they will go through an era of backbiting and infighting about how how could we lose to President Trump in their mind. Uh, whereas the reverse could happen if the president's reelected. I think Democrats will be emboldened. They will say that voters love them and want love all the pieces of their agenda, and they could actually go too far to the left after the 2020 elections and there could be a backlash against that and Republicans could do well in 2022 but we should probably focus on 2020 for now I guess Jason. yeah I mean we'll, we'll uh,
0: next week we'll get into 2024 and 2022 uh no I'm just kidding we'll, we'll wait even longer on that we'll give you a break uh, listeners uh before we go um I mean in you know this is a this is always a, a big project right when we do these one year out and and you know as we get closer to the election we do these uh sort of deep dive uh, election pieces what's the what's the thing that surprised you the most when you were working uh, on on your research and talking to people and and writing it because i mean it, it you know possibly this this thing of you know there are actually more status quo elections than is, is right. that was that the thing that surprised you that most was a surprise
1: I, I think just the the divide on the democratic side in the confidence of winning the white house uh, you know there are some that view uh the democratic field uh, with a little more not skepticism but concern that the election will turn and, and be this referendum on socialism and they they know that that's not the best standing others you know look just look historically at the president is not in good shape for re-election his job approval rating is below where presidents get re-elected uh, and, and so just the, the the level of confidence in in the in the in the presidential race i think was Surprising to me. I, I guess I knew it could happen, but I didn't realize how, how deep those concerns go.
0: Well, Nathan, thanks for walking through these scenarios with us, and we'll be uh, obviously checking back in as we get closer to this. Holding me election. accountable. Yeah. <laughs> yes, we'll, I'm going to bring this. <laughs> this gonna, isn't taped, gonna, is it? No, <laughs> no, not at all. We're just sort of freestyling here. <laughs> thanks again. No problem. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.